Well, if you want to get your Bibles out a while, <clears throat> turn with the book of Luke, chapter 12, this morning. Finished up our series in Greed last week, and we're back uh, looking at things that Jesus has to say to us. It's <clears throat> a middle-aged woman who had a heart attack. She was rushed to the hospital, and they determined she'd need surgery, so they um, began operating on her, and while they were in the middle of the surgery, she coded and um, had a near-death experience, went to the presence of God, and she said, am I dead? And he said, no, you've got another 30 years yet. Went back, and the body, they finished the surgery, um, <clears throat> and then when she woke up in the recovery room, they said, um, looks like you're going to be okay. We're going to need you to stay here in the hospital for a bit to fully recover, and then we'll send you home. And the woman's thinking about this conversation with God while she's uh, recovering the days ahead. She thought, if I've got 30 more years, I, I should make the most of it. And so while she was in the hospital, she got a uh, little work done. She got a tummy tuck, got some liposuction, facelift, Botox injection in the lips. Even had uh, a woman come in from a nearby hair salon, give her a new hair color and on the day she was discharged, she got up and she looked in the mirror and she goes, wow, I look good. She got her things together. She left the hospital. She stepped off the curb and she was hit by a passing ambulance and instantly killed. So now she's back in front of God again and she goes, I, I don't understand. You told me I had 30 more years. He said, sorry, I didn't recognize you. Just so you know, that's not true. <laughs> because despite the fact that he has to oversee seven and a half billion people, he can make you out. He, couldn't dis he can distinguish you between people that kind of look like you or people that live near you. And that's true whether you live in a rural area like this or you live in a very densely populated metropolitan area like New York City or Miami. He not only can distinguish you, tell you apart, knows everything about you, name, rank, and serial number, and everything else. He knows your pro proclivities. He knows your strengths. He knows your weaknesses. He knows your tendencies. He knows your likes and dis dislikes. He even knows things about you that you haven't discovered yet. Now, that, on the one hand, is, it's say, well, that's interesting. He knows all about me, but what, what's the significance of that? Because the federal government knows all about you, too. And they don't really care about you. <laughs> that little Social Security number you have means that federal government has access to all kinds of information about you, and you're just a number to them. They don't care about you. It's all different when it comes to God. It's not just information that he knows about you, but you matter to him. He's thought about you already today. He's considered plans for you already today. If you prayed today, he's already been listening to your prayers And my guess is that there's some of you come in this morning and you're not, 
you look at what maybe 2017 was like for you and you wonder, eh, I'm not really sure God cares about me. Hopefully, message, at least part of the message that Jesus has for you this morning is he actually does. Luke chapter 12, we're going to start at verse 6. <clears throat> Jesus says, what's the price of five sparrows? Two copper coins? And if you would have gone into a market in Jesus' day, it's like going into Walmart today. What's the cheapest thing you can find to buy in Walmart? Sparrows would have been the cheapest thing you would have find, been able to find to buy in a market in Jesus' day. Just a few copper coins. Yet God does not forget a single one of them. Just think about that. God doesn't forget a single sparrow. And the very hairs on your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You are more valuable to God than a whole flock of sparrows. Now we're going to jump down to verse 22. Then turning to the disciples, Jesus said, That's why I tell you not to worry about everyday life, whether you have enough food to eat or enough clothes to wear. For life is more than food, your body more than clothing. I mean, look at the ravens. They don't plant, harvest, store food in barns, for God feeds them. And you are far more valuable to him than any birds. Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? And if worry can't accomplish a little thing like that, what's the use of worrying over bigger things? Look at the lilies and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing, yet Solomon in all his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for flowers that are here today, thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? And don't be concerned about what to eat and what to drink. Don't, don't worry about such things. These, these things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers all over the world. But your Father already knows your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else, and he will give you everything you need. So don't be afraid, little flock, for it gives your Father great happiness to give you the kingdom. We'll stop there. Father, um, for um, worriers like many of us, um, these words might come as an assurance. Maybe for some of us worriers, they come as a rebuke. And my prayer is that as we spend these minutes talking about these words of Jesus, that they would come across exactly as you mean them to come across to each individual life. The ironic thing is that we who live in this land of plenty, probably the most plenteous land in the world, maybe it's that we have more worriers and more fearfulness and anxiety in this culture than anywhere else in the world. And may these words wash over us as life-giving hope-providing, uh, faith-infusing. 
And conversely, the enemy's little whispers in our ears that we shouldn't trust you might be drowned out by your promises. In Jesus' name, amen. Other living things matter to God. We have a number of bird feeders out in our backyard. We get all kinds of visitors. Uh, Anybody that knows anything about me knows I love birds. And um, I'm not really partial to one kind or another. I just love to see them and I, I love to hear them. But I have to be honest that all of my interest in birds is self-serving. Um, what I mean by that is if, if we go away for a while and I know they're going to run out of food, I don't line somebody up to go out and feed them. It's like if I'm not there to see them and I'm not there to hear them sing, fend for yourself. <laughs> it's kind of like your problem. God, God's concern for those birds is so radically different from mine. And let me just take you to the book of Job to show you this. Job chapter 38. And this is in the midst of God's interrogation of Job. He goes on for um, four chapters because Job has suggested that God's not really good and God's not really been taking care of business. And so for four chapters, God just basically asked Job, can you do what I do? And he says this in uh, the end of chapter 38, verse 39, can you stalk prey for a lioness and satisfy the young lion's appetites as they lie in their dens or crouch in the thicket? Who provides food for the ravens when their young cry out to God and wonder about in hunger? And he's essentially saying, I do all this, can you do it? And so God is concerned about the lions and the food that they need for themselves as well as their their cubs. God is concerned about the ravens as well as the food that they need for their little um, hatchlings in the nest. And there's this testimony throughout Scripture that you, you speak of any species on planet Earth... And God claims that he takes care of them. He's the one. You're the wolf in the Arctic Circle who drags down the caribou. It wasn't simply an accident of of, uh, time and place that occurred. God's making sure that he's feeding these living things. He talks, Jesus talks in here about how God clothes the lily of the field. And since he's addressing issues of trust in God's provision... Things like food and clothing come to the surface. Will God meet our needs? Will God provide for us? Now, now here's where we need to kind of make a U-turn, though, or at least a left turn. Because there are many in our society, in in our culture, that are elevating all kinds of living things to a status that's either equal or in some cases above humanity. Some of the things that's coming out of the animal rights movement are, I, I'm, I'm, when I read them, I'm like, are you serious? It seems like that humanity is the problem for all the rest of the created order. And if we just kind of wipe humanity off the face of the earth, then everything would be okay. I'm like, 
the person who's writing this, you're a human being. This means you too. But we don't, you know, we don't need to elevate animals to human status to, to fight against abuse of animals and creatures. It's been interesting. I, I, over the years, as I've read more and more things about God's care for the, all of his created order, I've become less cavalier about, like even when I walk on a road and I see a bug, I, I don't know about you, but I, there used to be this something in me that I would just instinctively go... And I still do if it's something like a stink bug or termite, but I just don't anymore. Um, you know, I read verses like the final verse in the book of Jonah where, where God's trying to explain to Jonah why he cares about a place like Nineveh. He goes, well, there's 120,000 people there, as well as many animals. And God never, God loves the, the other created World, but the human world is different. God says so in the very verse, first chapter of the Bible. That you are unique among all of the creation because you and I bear the image of God. So after God has created the, the world and He's created the planets and He's created uh, crows and starlings and grackles and blue jays and trout and bass and mackerel and zebras and crocodiles and praying mantises. After all of that, God says, now let us make man in our image. And so he created them, male and female, in the image of God. And that's why Jesus can say in these verses things like verse 7, don't be afraid you are more valuable to God than a whole flock of sparrows. There's something distinct about you as a human being that means you have greater worth to God than the sparrows do. And God, God looks at the sparrows and he values them, but he values you so much greater. You see this in the, some other verses that we read. Verse 24, look at the ravens and are you and you are far more valuable to him than any birds. Verse 28, he's just talked about the lilies. If God cares so wonderfully for flowers that are here today, thrown in the fire tomorrow, he'll certainly care for you, you who are made in the image of God. So other living things matter to God, absolutely, but believers matter even more to God. Man, is that good news if God can provide food, clothing, and place to live and all the other needs of life for critters, how much more is he going to provide for you? Now, Jesus addresses uh, those of us who tend to be full of ang anxiety or worry in verses 25 and 26. Let me read this. And my guess is if you uh, fit the billing of a worrier, you're going to say, I don't know if that helps. Just listen. Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? And if worry can't accomplish a little thing like that, I'm thinking a, a little thing like that, to add one moment to my life, that seems like a pretty big deal. But he's, he's saying it, uh, that's small compared to the bigger things that we tend to worry about. If worry can't accomplish a little thing like that, what's the use of worrying over bigger things? Now take inventory in your life. 
And you may not be a constant worrier, but probably most of us worry about something or some things. What is it that you worry about? Just think about that for a second. Now ask yourself, you've probably been worrying about this for some length of time. Has it ever helped? I mean, ever. And I had decades. I mean, I, God's done a work of grace in my life. I've made progress about this in my life. But I, I mean, I used to be, uh, I mean, I was good at it. I was skilled at worrying. But if somebody would have pushed me in the corner and said, has it ever helped? I would have had to say, no. And if I would have been asked, well, then why do you do it? I probably would have said, I don't want to be caught by surprise. <laughs> I mean, really, isn't that some of what it is? I don't want to be caught by surprise. It's like even if something bad happens to me that I worried about, if I worried about it, it's like I feel like there's, there, there's been some preparation for it. And yet, that's not at all what Jesus says is the way to handle our worry. In fact, he says in verses 22 and 23, look, life is more than food. Life is more than food. It's your body's more than clothing. What he's saying is the things that keep us up at night. There's a lot more to life than that. And my guess is that most of us, probably all of us here, don't worry about whether or not we're going to have food for tomorrow or whether, we're, whether or not we're going to have something to wear. In most cases, we're getting rid of way too We have tons of clothes, and we're selling them at garage sales and dropping them in the bin out here in the parking lot so that somebody else can benefit. But we worry about other things. Am I going to be able to pay my house off? Am I going to be able to put my kids through college? What happens if my wife loses her job? Um, what happens if I lose my job? What's going to happen if my investments tank? Will I be able to retire ever? Be able to retire at the age I want? These are the kinds of things that tend to keep us up at night. Or those are all financial things, the health things. What happens now, if I go to the doctor and I get a diagnosis next week? I, something's not right and they can't seem to find what's wrong. What, what happens if they find out what's wrong and it's really bad news? Jesus, Jesus is addressing all of this. The particular that you thinking, you're thinking about right now that you know is plaguing you is one of the things that he's addressing. And he's saying, you, your life is about more than this. Would you agree with that? Is your life about more than the things that keep you awake at night, that you worry about, that you obsess over, that consume you? Is, is your life more than that, or is that where you're stuck? And Jesus is saying, this is where I want you to be, that life is, goes beyond that, goes beyond those things that you thread, fret about. And one of the th reasons that we fret about all these things is because deep down in our souls, we know this is true, that God doesn't, nor has he ever promised to meet all of our wants. I want good health. I want a comfortable life. 
I want my kids to succeed. I want them all to come to Jesus. I want good relationships with my my spouse, and I I want good relationships with my friends, and I want everything to be stable. God's never promised most of that stuff. We know that that God gets a 100% rating when it comes to being our need meter. But he falls way short of that when it comes to being our want meter. Because after all, God has promised to meet all of our needs, right? According to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus, Philippians 4.19. He's promised that. Isn't it true that part of the deal is that our, our wants, some of our wants have slipped over into the need category? Isn't that true? So what's the solution? Verse 31. In fact, I'm going to read verse 32 and then back up to 31. So don't be afraid, little flock, for it gives your father great happiness to give you the kingdom. So well, I'm not sure that that's going to solve my problem being concerned about this, that, and the other thing. Well, maybe this is the issue. Maybe the problem is that we have set our sights on such a divergent world that we forget to set our sights on the world that God summons us to set our sights on. Verse 31. Seek the kingdom of God. Read the next three verses with me. Above, I'm sorry, words. Above all else. Seek the kingdom of God above all else, and he will give you everything you need. The the solution to the worrying obsession is not to stop worrying. It's to set our sights on the right things. Remember we talked the other week in that sermon about um, greed, setting our uh, thinking on things above rather than things below. We talked about the we can't simply stop thinking about things below. Those things have to be displaced by other good things. And the same is true with the things that hold our attention. Jesus says, seek the kingdom of God above all else, and God will take care of the rest of the things you need. How, how, listen, how many times, brothers and sisters, is the reverse of that true? We're seeking, rather, all the things that we need, and we're hoping that God takes care of seeking his kingdom. And we we have this craving, whether it's for material things or whether it's a relationship. I want a boyfriend, a girlfriend. I want a spouse. I want a better job. I want a resolution to this tension between this person and and myself. I want my marriage to, to survive. We're seeking all of the other else's. And the kingdom is out of sight, out of mind. And maybe, just maybe, part of the else's, part of God's plan so that our eyes might turn around and seek first his kingdom above all else. You got a struggling marriage? 
Maybe the solution isn't just counseling. Maybe you need to turn your eyes to the, to the thing that really matters the most. And as a husband and wife, get down on your knees and say, God, we have not made your kingdom our priority. We've made everything else our priority. Forgive us and change our eyesight. Maybe if you're not able to make financial ends meet, maybe you need to get on your knees and say, God, I really haven't made your kingdom not only a priority, I haven't really paid much attention to it. I go to church and that's kind of my deal. And I haven't haven't been able to pay my bills. I'm getting further and further behind. The debt's piling up and I I don't know how this is going to help, but I'm going to, by your grace, I'm going to start making your kingdom We're going to work toward making your kingdom the thing that matters most. You and I all know people like that, don't we? We know people that they live normal lives like we do. They go to work. They go to school. They play play sports. They enjoy the Super Bowl. They do things like we do. But there's something different about them. I think I shared with you before that before I got saved, we had good friends that um, we'd all... um, not all of us, three of the four of us had all grown up in Christian homes. And um, the other couple, they had got gloriously saved. And we'd get together, and it, Jesus would somehow magically come up in the conversation to the extent that one night after they went home from our house, I turned to Betty, and I'm like, can't they talk about anything except Jesus? And it wasn't that they tried. It was that his kingdom mattered most, and it just came up in conversation. And seek first his kingdom above all else. Is that your preoccupation and mine, or is it the all else? And if it's the all else, two things. One, That's not God's desire for us. Two, the very things that we long for. I don't think God gives us, gives them to us. Why? Because they end up being distractions from the kingdom that he longs for us to be preoccupied with. God has promised those that he loves, and that is his followers, that there's no shortage, going to be no shortage in our lives. Let me have you turn to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, verse 32. Since God did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? He's not talking about a jaguar when he says everything else. But everything else we need. In other words, is is God a God who doesn't have much to share? No. No. And the fact that he shared Jesus, nailed him to a cross for us, is the testament 
to the fact that he's going to take care of the rest that we need as well. You ever wonder if God's going to shortchange you? It's time to look again at the cross. If you ever wonder whether or not God's going to let you down in the ninth inning, you need to look at the cross again. If he's given us that, why would he deprive us of anything else that we need? I don't know what that looks like for you to, if there's a needed change, to seek first his kingdom above all else. Maybe for you it's just a life of prayer. Truth be told, you really don't talk to God at all. How can we get God's heart for his kingdom without talking to him? Maybe for you, it's just seeing the needs of uh, other people. You know, when Jesus, in Matthew 25, when Jesus talked about the separation of the sheep from the goats, he talked about really basic things of people who visited prisoners, people who visited the sick, people who provided food for those who didn't have it, clothing for those who didn't have it. In other words, met needs. Maybe some things like that. Maybe you need to get involved in the factory down here, the factory ministries or the point youth ministry down in Parksburg. Water Street, volunteering there. Get involved in in a world where you're exposed more and more to the needs of other people so that you can be a need meter in God's hands. Maybe it's learning the Word of God and being able to share it with your kids and with other, with other people or helping the poor in some way and using your gifts in your faith family. I mean, there's a thousand ways that maybe God is saying, I, I have something for you, or maybe he's saying, I have some things for you they're going to be part of you making the kingdom, my kingdom, a bigger priority in your life. We don't go from zero to 60 overnight. There's one thing that God's saying to you this morning. Okay, you're so consumed about this, and, but I want you to be consumed about this. What is that exchange in your life? Got a text from John Hurst um, here a couple of weeks ago. John been without a job for about a month and and uh, I talked to him last week I said how are you doing um, financially guy said I'm getting some side jobs and he said we're getting by but he had sent a text to Charlie and um, said look if there's anybody in the church that needs some carpentry work done around their house or some fix up John's got some mad skills when it comes to those kinds of things and he said I, you know my schedule's not what it was I just let me know I want to help Man, I, I, I'd, I'd be thinking, ha, ah, I've got to find a job, I've got to find a job. He's like, I have some breaks in my schedule. How can I help? Seek first his kingdom above all else, and I'll take care of the rest that you need. What, what's it going to take in your life? For that to be true, what's going to take in mind? All I know is that God has never, never, never let me down. And my guess is if 
you thought long enough about that, you would agree that's the case for you as well. So let's make his kingdom our priority. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the grand exclamation mark on your love and your promise to us. That exclamation mark was written in blood on a cross outside Jerusalem 2,000 years ago. We only traverse this world for a short period of time. The Bible describes us as vapor, blade of grass, here today, gone tomorrow. Seems like a very long time while we're in it. And yet, looked at from the vantage point of eternity, this is just a drop in the bucket, a season. And I'm sure that my fellow saints with me would want to be able to look back at eternity and say, what, what did I make much of? In those days, what did I preoccupy myself with? Who was life all about? And I, I pray that increasingly our answer would be we spent our time, we spent our money, we spent our thinking about how can we better advance the kingdom? How can we better portray the kingdom to an unkingdom world? In what context can we speak about the kingdom? Who needs to hear about the kingdom from our lips? Who needs to see a manifestation of the kingdom from my wallet? And my guess is that all of us will have some different answers. My prayer would be is that we would all answer in kingdom ways. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.